Well, our sermon text this morning is Psalm 40, and I'll ask that you stand for the reading of God's holy word this morning. Psalm 40. Give ear to the reading of God's word this morning. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O Lord, my God. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, we thank you for your word that you have given to us as a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, a light that shines the light of Christ upon us, that lifts him up, that we might look to him and be saved. And we ask that you might work in us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word, for it's in Christ's name And for his glory alone that we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm Psalm 40 is kind of one of those mountaintop, you know, mountain peak book uh, psalms there in the Psalter. It's one of the most well-known and well-loved psalms in the entire book. Uh, It's one of those ones that uh, many people have, uh, a lot of people, it's their favorite psalm. Sometimes Psalm 40, verse 1, I know people, that's their favorite verse in the entire Bible. And it's, it's beloved and well-known probably because it's one of those psalms that in some way 
every Christian can identify with rather easily, even though we might not know very much of David's experience and uh, what lay behind the writing of this psalm. Uh, We probably wouldn't be able to identify much with David if we did know what that experience itself was. You know, what's the saying, uh, you know, heavy or uneasy is the head that wears the crown. Uh, As the saying goes, and David, what was David? He was the king. So in some ways, you know, we read a psalm of David and we think, yeah, he was the king. How can I possibly identify with what he was dealing with or going through? Um, But in a sense, this psalm of, of King David uh, is, is kind of the shared testimony of every believer in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Whether or not you're, you, you will ever be remotely close to being a king or experiencing the things that David did, this psalm of David speaks of the Lord delivering his redeemed people from the pit of destruction and then his, his saints praising him for that deliverance. If you've been a Christian, a believer in Christ for any length of time, I think it's probably pretty easy for you and I to read Psalm 40 and just say amen to it. We understand what David's talking about, even if we don't understand the exact circumstances that may lay behind what he writes here. And as often as the the Psalms often do, and the Psalms of David especially, this Psalm, Psalm 40, David here is, is evangelizing his readers, isn't he? He's evangelizing us, his readers. He's not just praising God for God delivering him and leaving it at that, although that would be just fine. Rather, what does he do? He commends to us, to the reader, his his own experience of God's grace and steadfast love to us. In verse 4 of our psalm, he, he says this, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray, after a lie. David's not just saying, blessed is me. I know it's bad, bad English, you know. I am blessed. We, we often say, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. David's not just saying, hey, it's good to be the king. It's good to be me. God blesses me. I'm the king. Of course, God blesses me. No, he says, blessed is the man, whoever. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray. After a lie, the blessing written of here in Psalm 40 is not reserved just for a king like David. The blessing spoken of in Psalm 40 is written, it's there for every single man, woman, or child who makes the Lord their trust rather than turning aside to the proud or going after a lie. And David doesn't stop there, does he? Later on, towards the end of the psalm in verse 16, he says something very similar. He says, Verse 16, but may all who seek you, all, all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. David here wants you to make the Lord his trust. That's his point. He would have you and I make the Lord our trust rather than turning aside or going astray after a false hope of salvation. Through his words, the Lord Jesus Christ himself calls upon you to seek him, as David says here. And in so doing, to be able to rejoice and be glad in him, just like David was here in our psalm. Well, our our outline this morning is going to be a little bit unconventional, in a sense. You know, when you read any text of scripture, if you you go to some commentaries and and books upon whatever you're reading, uh, very often... 
if you go to, you know, I'm just making up numbers here, but if you go to ten commentaries, ten pastors about a particular text, uh, you might come away with three or four or more different ways to break the text down and outline it. That doesn't make uh, my job as a preacher much easier. It's always better if they all agreed so I could say that I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, that's, always, that's always helpful. Uh, some commentators break this psalm down. It's a long psalm into as many as six different sections. So I, you might think, oh, a six-point outline, or maybe a two, three-point outline. I don't know how that would work. Um, others break it down into three points, but with slight differences in how they, they divide it up. Every preacher worth his salt wants three points, right? All my sermons are supposed to be three points. Um, well, the simplest outline is often the most helpful one, and I think the simplest outline of this psalm is that it can be divided up into two parts. Into two parts. Praise for past deliverance in verses 1 through 10, and a prayer for present deliverance in verses 11 through 17. But what's the saying? Wait, there's more. Uh, as, as we're going to see, according to the explicit testimony of the New Testament, this beautiful psalm contains within that very first section, those first ten verses, that section of praise for past deliverance, it contains a, a prophecy of, of the future deliverer in verses 6 through 8. So this will be our, our outline of sorts today, although it involves some kind of overlap or parenthesis, however you want to look at that. The first point is praise for past deliverance in verses 1 through 10. Our second point, maybe the central point of the whole psalm, is prophecy of the future deliverer in verses 6 through 8. And lastly, in verses 11 through 17, prayer. It's a prayer for present deliverance. Well, David begins our psalm with an extended section of praise for past deliverance. And he testifies to you and to me of his experience of the Lord's mercy in that deliverance. In verses 1 through 3, maybe the section of the psalm that you almost have it memorized, even if you haven't tried to put it to memory. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that, that first verse kind of jumps right off the page at you, doesn't it? It doesn't... It kind of it just jumps off the page. And it, it's kind of difficult for our English translations to do justice to what David says in that first verse. Uh, the, the Hebrew doesn't make for good English, put it, put it that way. The Hebrew text, what he's saying is something like this. Waiting, I waited. We might put it this way. I waited and I waited. That's really kind of what he's saying here. He waited and waited. Whatever David's dilemma was, whatever the danger was that he may have been facing, whatever it was, it wasn't resolved quickly. It wasn't resolved quickly. And so what did David do? What did he do? He prayed, and then he waited, and he prayed, and he waited, and he prayed, and he waited some more. We don't know how long, but it wasn't quick, whatever it was. He waited for the Lord to hear and to answer his prayer. Matthew Henry writes of this verse, he says, those, those whose expectation is from God may wait with assurance, but must wait with patience. You know God's going to answer, but it doesn't mean God's going to answer in the next five minutes. 
he adds this later on, those who wait patiently for God, though they may wait long, do not wait in vain. You may have to wait, but it won't be wasted waiting in time. It won't be thought to be vain in the end. Well, what happened? What does David say happened? At long last, we don't know how long it took, but the Lord, what did the Lord, the Lord do? The Lord inclined to him. It, it's a picture of someone leaning in close to someone to hear what they're saying. You can tell when someone's paying attention when you're talking across the table, and they kind of lean in. Well, the Lord inclined toward him and heard his cry. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of God's gracious and loving condescension towards sinners. He inclined toward David in his sin and misery. And he delivered him, bringing him up out of that pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And didn't just take him out of the miry bog, he put him on a solid rock. He gave him secure steps, a place to stand where he won't slip and where he wouldn't sink. So then he wondered that David sang. And then he wrote a psalm, a psalm to celebrate and praise the Lord for it. And the Lord, in delivering David, put a new song in his mouth. What kind of song? A song of praise to our God. Verse 3. So here in this psalm, to you and to me, David sings and testifies of God's goodness and salvation. And he wrote this psalm so that you and I might do the same. You know, David could have just treasured this up in his own heart. He could have been selfish and just praised God on his own. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this psalm to help you and I sing a new song of praise to our God for his deliverance as well. And what does David else do in this section, the first ten verses? He kind of reminds himself and reminds us of God's great love and his many acts of deliverance of his people. In verse 5 he writes this, You, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. God has multiplied his wondrous deeds. Those are acts of deliverance. That's what he's talking about. And David's going to tell of them, but there's so many he can't tell of them all. That's a, we tend to have a much smaller view of God's acts of mercy and kindness sometimes, don't we? You almost have to work at it to think, what do I praise God for? There should be no end if we really thought of it rightly. And so David gives us a good practice here as well. You and I need to be reminded often and to remind ourselves and each other on a regular basis of the steadfast love of God toward us in Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons we we meet for worship every Lord's Day, every week. We need constant reminders that God has truly multiplied, to use David's words, multiplied his wondrous deeds and his thoughts toward us. God multiplies his thoughts toward you and toward me in Christ. God takes thought of you in Christ. Is that not exactly what you and I are tempted to forget or lose sight of whenever we find ourselves in dire straits of many kinds? Because when you, when you find yourself in those dire straits, that's when you think God's not multiplying his thoughts toward you. And you tend to forget in the past that God has delivered his people and delivered you in particular Many, many times. Is that not what the scriptures are constantly reminding us of throughout its pages? That the Lord has been faithful to his redeemed people throughout time. 
And he's repeatedly rescued his people with an outstretched arm. Do the scriptures not repeatedly remind us that God is much more mindful of us than we could possibly imagine? He shouldn't be. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, right? But he does. It doesn't make any sense. He'd he'd be justified to not, to put us out of his mind. But he multiplies his thoughts to us. And so David commits to proclaiming and telling of them, even though, as he said there in verse 5, they are more than can be told. You could spend all day telling yourself, your family, each other, about God's thoughts toward you, toward us, and his acts of deliverance, uh, and you'd never get to the end of it. And so praising the Lord, if you think about it, from this psalm, it's not just our duty, although it is. Praising God is, is our duty. It's the least we can do. It's required of us. But it's required of us for a good reason, isn't it? Not only does God deserve that praise, but that praise is needful for your benefit and for mine as well. Praise isn't just the filler before the sermon. It shouldn't be. Praise is not there for entertainment, I hope. Although I hope you enjoy it. Praise has a purpose. We speak the word of God, the New Testament says, to one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's instruction. There's a helpful reminder for us of why we praise the Lord when we do praise him. So praising God is not just our duty, but it's needful. We need it. It's for our benefit. Well, that brings us to our second point, although it might be parenthetical in a sense. In another sense, it's the primary point of the entire psalm. And it's found in verses 6 through 8, and that's the prophecy of the future deliverer. Now, it's only fitting in that section of the psalm where David is, what is he doing there? Remember, he's recounting, he's abbreviating it, but he's recounting all of God's acts of, of deliverance, his love, his thoughts towards his people, that he would there point us to the Redeemer and Deliverer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate deliverance of God's people from their ultimate end, their ultimate evil, their ultimate problem. That's our sins, our iniquities. Verses 6 through 8, David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And maybe when I read the text this morning as we were beginning, maybe that didn't jump off the page. Maybe you're not familiar with how that that section is quoted in the New Testament. But how do we know that this this passage speaks of Christ? Besides the general, you know, the, the generic fact that all through the Bible, it's all about Christ. Jesus himself says that multiple times. We have it on Christ's authority himself that the Bible from front to back, from Genesis to Revelation, is about him first and foremost. How do we know, on what authority do we know that this text speaks of Christ in particular? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, it does more than just say, hey, this text is about Jesus. It puts these words in Jesus' mouth. It says that David's words were ultimately Christ's words. Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 10, it says this, For since the law has has but a shadow of the good things to come, 
instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There's a, there's a right grid to understand the, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. God, God ordained it, but it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So there must have been something more. What does it say? Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he, not just David, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And the writer of Hebrews gives us his interpretation. When he said above, it says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. In other words, God did command them. They were to be done. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He, Jesus, he does away with the first, the Old Testament sacrifice. It does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. <clears throat> so the writer of the book of Hebrews not only applies the words of Psalm 40 to Christ himself, specifically verses 6 through 8, but he interprets it and explains those words for us as well. And there you and I are told that Psalm 40 verses 6 through 8 foreshadowed and foretold that the obedience of Christ unto death, even the death on a cross, as Philippians 2.8 says, that that was the ultimate fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices. And so they were going to be done away with, and done away with when? At the cross of Christ. When Christ died, those sacrifices no longer served any meaningful purpose. They were given for a reason and for a time, but they were no, of no use after that. They never took away sins. Jesus' death, once for all, did and does. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that those verses from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, are to be understood as speaking of Christ's death on the cross doing away with those sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament, again, that weren't able to take away sins. Think about that. Psalm 40 is giving us the proper understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system in light of the death of Christ. There's some amazing theology packed in these little 17 verses. Those sacrifices were shadows and types of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice for sin, on the cross, according to Hebrews 10, verse 10, verses 6 through 8 of our psalm, what the message of those verses is, is that through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, you and I are sanctified by faith in Christ. That's the message of Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. That's the interpretation the writer of the Hebrews says. 
That it's through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all that we are sanctified. What's he saying? He's saying Psalm 40 here, David's preaching the gospel to us ahead of time, before Christ even came. What an amazing testimony to the inspiration and to the unity of the scriptures as God's holy word. That God in his word could foretell the death of Christ and the end of the Old Testament sacrificial system in the days of David, long before Christ came. And what does it even say in that, in that text? It says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. David's not saying the Bible's all about me. The scroll of God's book's all about me. It's about Jesus. These are, these, are, these are words more aptly attributed to Jesus Christ than they are even of David who penned them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our third and our final point, and that's David's prayer for future deliverance. You know, it's, it's very easy. Psalm 1, again, it jumps off the page. It grabs your attention. You might forget the rest of the psalm, but, but verse 1, it sticks. It sticks in your head. And it might be kind of easy to read verse 1 and to conclude, I would say falsely, that David, when he wrote this psalm, was presently at rest and that he had been delivered from all of his troubles. It's clearly not the case. What does he say in verse 13? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. He's in trouble now. So what was he talking about back in, in verse 1? In verse 1, he was reminding himself and us in the great congregation, reminding us of God's mercy toward him in the past deliverances. And the reason that he was doing that is because he's once again found himself in dire straits and in need of present deliverance. One commentator puts it this way, the earlier experiences of the psalmist form the basis for his prayer for the present. He is pleading past mercies as the ground for this present trust in the Lord as his deliverer. Repeat that last part again. He is pleading past mercies. Pleading past mercies as the ground for this present trust in the Lord as his deliverer. He's saying, God got me out of it how many times before? God has saved me over and over again. And it's on the basis of that that he builds his confidence that God is still ever faithful to deliver his people. It was the Lord's faithfulness and love and deliverance in the past that gave David confidence in that same love and faithfulness in the present and in the future as well. Verse 11, David writes, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And how does David, again, we don't know exactly what his problems were. We don't know, it must have been serious, right? He didn't have a hangnail, you know, he, whatever it was, he, it was danger. Um, does David's trouble, did it involve enemies? He does describe enemies in this text, doesn't he? Those who would say, aha, at his troubles, at his, at his sins maybe, even at his calamity. Does it involve suffering of some kind? Sure, we don't know exactly what it was, but look at what he says in verse 12. Look there closely. He says, for evils, evils have encompassed me beyond number. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. 
They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Evils, yes. What does he say? They encompassed or surrounded him beyond number. Evils are bad things, painful things, dangerous things, uh, evil enemies, evil circumstances. But what else does he point to here besides his circumstances? His iniquities or sins. And how does he describe his iniquities and sins? He says they had risen over his head. It's like the waters of a flood. It's like he's out in the water and the water keeps going up and up and up. He's surrounded by evils and compassed, surrounded by evils. And then to make it worse, his own sins are going up over his head so that he couldn't even see over them. They're piling up or pouring over him. He says his iniquities were what? More than the hairs of his head. More than the hairs of his head. One commentator uh, who shall rename remain nameless, uh, he said that that was uh, exaggeration. That David was, was uh, exaggerating. That wasn't the word he used, but that's what he was saying. I, I beg to differ. I don't think David's exaggerating at all. I think David has a sliver of an idea of what the real situation is regarding his sins. They were more than the hairs of his head. No wonder his heart failed him. No wonder he cried out to the Lord for deliverance. You know, the the same man who could say, this is similar to what Dan said earlier this morning, the same man who could say, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David delighted to do God's will, and yet what could he also say a few verses later? My iniquities have overtaken me, and they are more than the hairs of my very head. Same person. And if you're anything... Uh, of, of the type of honest person that David is here, uh, you, you look in the mirror and say, that's me too. It's, it's what's that in the New Testament? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I, loved, I, I long to do your will, O Lord, but my iniquities are as much, many as the hairs on top of my head. It's not either or, it's both and in this life. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I think we see here once again the wisdom and kindness of our Heavenly Father in giving us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, whereby eating this bread and drinking this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. His death for us. His greatest deliverance of His people. You and I need to be reminded again and again of God's greatest act of deliverance of us from our sin and our iniquity. We also need to be spiritually nourished for our growth and grace in Jesus Christ. May the words, the last two verses of our psalm be made true of us more and more. He says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, what does he say? He's the king. I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me or of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. You know, it, it's, it's only those who understand their iniquities as numbering more than the hairs of their heads uh, that can really say that they love God's salvation, that they love it. If we don't think we're so bad, you know, it's okay. You know, God, God got a good deal with me. I was easy to save, blah, 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 right? When you know that your sins are more in number than the hairs of your head, then you say, as David did, 
As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. And we love his salvation and we say, great is the Lord. May the Lord Jesus Christ teach us, you and me, to rejoice and be glad in him. May he work in us to love his salvation more and more. And say continually, as the psalmist says here, great is the Lord who has delivered us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the way that it, it, it lifts up Christ before us. We thank you for the way that your New Testament in the book of Hebrews conveys that to us and tells us that that's what he is what this is about. That the Lord Jesus Christ foretold and foreshadowed and, and promised ahead of time, even in Psalm 40, as our, as our deliverer who now, though in day's day was future, yet we, have, we live in a day after he's already come. We thank you that he has come and paid the full price for our sins and our iniquities, every last one, that we could be saved from our sins, saved from the wrath to come, and know you and call upon you because of Christ as our Heavenly Father and not our Judge. We thank you for this, this great passage. We ask that you would give us grace more and more to see our sins for what they are, to hate and loathe our sins, to, to look upon Christ then for all that he is more and more, and, and love your salvation and rejoice and say, Great is the Lord who has delivered us from our iniquities. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.